All right, so like I said, uh, we're going to be continuing uh, our series in the Minor Prophets. And so uh, Blake's not here, but I think he's, he's listening. Uh, I just want to shout him out. That was, a, uh, that was some of the best preaching I have ever heard. Definitely from him, but uh, I think we would all agree uh, some of the best preaching. Verses, or chapters 9 through 14 are actually of Hosea are actually some of the toughest in all of Scripture to go through. Um, I mean, he, he dealt with, with, with words like whore and whoredom, and he brought it back to the gospel, and uh, I just thought it was, it was so great. So I don't have any uh, big triggering words uh, like he did, uh, but I do get to say uh, this word shittim from the pulpit today. Yes, shittim. That is how it's pronounced, and it's in the Bible. So uh, you'll have to stick around. Does anybody know what that is? It's a place, that's right. Yep, it's a place, an arid land that God will bring uh, healing to. So you have to stick, stick around for that. But uh, hey, so yes, we're going to be continuing through. Today we're going to be in the book of Joel. And this is a, uh, it's a fascinating, small, three-chapter book. Uh, you will need a physical Bible today. I don't have the verses up on the screen. So uh, we have some Bibles up here at the front. Uh, please don't be ashamed. Come down, grab one. Uh, but you will need a physical Bible today or, or use your, your app. But uh, Book of Joel is well, where we will be. Uh, it's going to be right in the middle of your Bible, right after Hosea. The whole time we're going through these, we're going to be... There you go, Jesus. Hey, Jesus is getting baptized today. <laughs> and Emily as well. <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, turn, turn there with me. Uh, I'm going to go through... So. You know, at the Refuge Church, we value expository preaching. Now, we are going through this whole book uh, today. Uh, so we will not be reading every single verse together. But we, uh, so what we do is we choose a book of the Bible and we walk through it, just like my slides are walking through. I don't know what's going on. Um, but we walk our way through the book. So if, when this one specifically, uh, you know, I usually go through the text and you know, pray a lot about this and read it. And what is God trying to bring out? And then go to commentary. And one of the best places to start is like kids' books, right? Like Bible, like kids' Bibles. And when you go in these, there is nothing about Joel. It's funny. It almost just skips over uh, Joel. And the, we really don't know a lot about this. But uh, we're going to go through this whole book today. And what I'm going to do is I'm going give to give a summary of it. And then I'm going to go down into specific verses that encapsulate uh, what the main points of Joel are. So uh, what this is, it's a collection of prophetic poems. So as we're reading through this, think of it as poems. It's a lot of of poetry. Uh, Such an interesting book because it's classified uh, uh, prophetic poems. It can also be considered nature writing. You'll probably see why. Uh, But it's one of the books in the Bible that can be considered nature writing writing. I don't know what you guys are doing back there, but my slides are running away from me. Um, be classified as end times writing, which is appropriate for everything that's been going on here, right? A lot of people wondering, is this the end times with everything that's been uh, going on? Uh, it can also be uh, classified as an apocalyptic horror story. So all of those things in this one uh, book, but ultimately the end. You're dismissed. <laughs> Communion. <laughs> hey, guys, just go back to the first slide. Just the first slide, and then I'll do it. All right. 
All right, we'll get there eventually. Yes, this is why sometimes we just need to go straight from the Bible. So yes, uh, so we don't know a context on this book. We don't, we're not actually sure when it was written, and we actually don't know a lot about Joel himself. And honestly, for the prophets, we don't need to know uh, a, lot about jo- a lot about the prophets themselves because they are mouthpieces for God. So all these things, it's, it's God speaking through the prophets. That's what a prophet is, God speaking through them. But something that we do know from Joel is that he was immersed himself in the other works of the other prophets. Because uh, you'll see in here he quotes from Isaiah, from Amos, from Nahum, from Zephaniah, from Ezekiel, from Obadiah, from Malachi. He even references Exodus. So we know he himself, Joel, was immersed in uh, the other works of the prophets. And this is God speaking through him. Uh, so God, uh, excuse me, Joel tells of God's judgment, but he also doesn't ex- uh, describe exactly why God is judging Israel. So if you, if you remember back, to, if you're here for Blake's preaching, uh, what did he also say is Israel? Who else is Israel? Us, right? So when you, when you hear Israel, think us as well. So he doesn't know, he's not exactly describing why God is judging Israel, but he's also assuming that we already know. Do we, do we assume that, we, it's safe to assume that we know we should be judged, yes? We're all sinful. So think of that as we go through. So it's really broken up into two parts. The first, uh, first part of Joel, uh, verses 1-1 through 2-27, if you're reading along in the Bible, we read about this terrible locust plague. Uh, who here knows what uh, another part in the Bible that's described a locust plague? Where right, I'm going to have to say a little bit louder. Exodus, yeah, Egypt, right? So that's a locust plague, plague on Egypt. Now this here, what's interesting is that we see God doing this on Israel. God doing this on his own people. So kind of think about that for a second. But the first part is this terrible locust plague and the day of the Lord coming and then how the people repent and how God uh, restored their fortunes. And then from 228 to the end of the book, we see how God pours out his spirit among his people. He restores the land and then he gathers the nations for a judgment and he judges those who have rejected him, all while restoring all of creation. So a key theme here, looks like slides are back, key theme here that you'll hear, and you've heard before, is the day of the Lord. And so here's a, uh, this is from the ESV study, this is a, a, a great way to put it, the day of the Lord, and we're going to hear this multiple times, is a time when the presence of the Lord brings judgment and or deliverance or blessing. Judgment and or deliverance and blessing. Destruction or salvation is another way to put it. So we're going to see past judgments where God confronted evil, and then we're going to see a future uh, where God will defeat evil in ourselves, in the land, and in all the nations. So again, when we read the day of the Lord, I want you to think of this as this definition, but also that this is a horrifically terrible day unless you find your refuge in Jesus. A terrible day unless you find your refuge in Jesus. In Jesus. Another theme that we'll see, that we will see the rest of the time we go through the, uh, all of the prophets, are these calls to repentance and reminders of God's goodness. And we're going to see that again uh, today. So here's a summary uh, of all the chapters. And again, we're going to go a little bit deeper, specifically into uh, chapter 2. But, uh, so chapter 1, we see this past day of the Lord. This past day of the Lord, this is when the locusts enter and they come in just like they were coming against Egypt, but now they're coming against Israel, against us, against God's own people. And then we see a call to repentance. Chapter 2, we see this future day of the Lord. We see this judgment that is coming uh, again, but the locusts 
Bear with me. The locusts turn into human form and they become an army. Uh, remember, this is all poetry, but these, these locusts turn into human form and they come and they ravage the city. And again, there's a call to repentance. But this time God gives us a how and a why. And he says to rend your hearts, not your garments. Rend your hearts, that's the how, and then why? Because God is gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, and full of love. And then he leads the priest to pray, to fast, and ask God to spare his people. And then in chapter 3, we see God's response of mercy and hope. He reverses these devastating effects, he defeats the invaders, and he restores the land back to himself. And he brings peace because of his presence among his people. And then we end with three poems of hope. There's one poem of hope that God's own spirit will pour out on his people. Uh, There was a a poem that God's promised that he will confront evil among all the nations. And then there's a promise that he will renew all of creation. So the three uh, big takeaways from just the summary is that our sin causes destruction. God shows mercy and love to his people. And then in the end, God will defeat evil, restore everything in our world in us, and in all of creation. I know it's a lot. That's the, that's the summary, but we're going to go uh, a little bit deeper. So uh, as you know, uh, I like to give all of the main points right up front so you can read these, take them in, write them down, and then fall asleep for the rest of the sermon if you'd like to. Uh, but here they are. So the biggest point, or big points from today's uh, text that I think he's trying to bring out is that God is a jealous God, and he will be seen as God of all. That's what the day of the Lord is pointing to. And the day of the Lord is going to be good for some and terrible for others. I want us to be thinking, what camp are we in there? God will use calamity. He will use bad circumstances to get you to return to him. Think about that, especially in light of this past week. Think of that in light of what's going on in your own life, that God will use all of this to get you to return to him. And then lastly, that you rend your heart. That means give him your heart, not your garment, not these outward expressions of, uh, of faith, but inward expressions, what he's doing in your heart. Give him your heart. So let me pray for us over this uh, text, and we're going to dig in a little bit deeper. Uh, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we get to come together in a free land where we get to open your word and learn from you. God, keep me from error this morning. God, I pray that your word is clearly perceived to your people. God, work this from our heads into our hearts and ultimately to our hands, Lord, that we worship you through your word and that you are clearly perceived. God, I pray that only your word remain and anything that is not of you just disappear this morning, God. Thank you for your word. Thank you for who you are. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Okay, so again... Starting on in chapter 1, I'm going to kind of roll through this, so uh, bear with me, read in, in, the, in the scriptures uh, the past day of the Lord. So I'm going to teach through it, and then we're going to stop on a couple specific parts uh, and dig in a little bit deeper. So chapter 1 is this past day of the Lord. Again, you remember day of the Lord. Keep that in your mind, what exactly that means. So uh, he also tells us to pass this on from generation to generation uh, to your children, to their children, and their children's children, which we can say... That makes it applicable to us today. So this is not a past, uh, past scripture that only applies to certain people. This is talking to us today. And then we have this introduction of this locust plague uh, that is coming. So it starts off, Hear this, you elders. Give ear, all inhabitants of the land. Has such a thing happened in your days or in the days of your fathers? Tell your children of it 
and let your children tell their children and their children to another generation. And here's the locust. What the cutting locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust left, the hopping locust has eaten. And what the hopping locust left, the destroying locust has eaten. So we see this, just kind of picture this in your mind, this destruction. These locusts coming in. Uh, one, one of the things that I think about with, with locusts and with bugs, there are certain, certain questions I'm like, why did God create fire ants? Why did God create mosquitoes? I don't know. And when I, th- I think about this, like how terrible these locusts coming in and, and eating everything. But the whole, all this is pointing back to there is just utter destruction, utter famine. Uh, there is nothing left. Uh, it continues in 5 through 9. We see that all the wine is cut off. All the fig trees are splintered. There's not even enough grain uh, for offerings in the temple. So the people have nothing as this, as this army of locusts is coming. And so there is a call for Israel to cry out to the Lord. In this, as this day of the Lord is approaching. And that's where it continues in verse 13. Put on sackcloth and lament, O priests. Wail, O ministers of the altar. Go in, pass the night in sackcloth, O ministers of my God. Because grain offering and drink offering are withheld from the house of your God. Consecrate a fast. Call a solemn assembly. Gather the elders and all inhabitants of the land. To, to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. Alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is near, and as destruction from the Almighty it comes. So that's a lot. Again, hopefully you're getting this picture of just utter despair and destruction, and then God calling us to cry out to himself. And then in verse 19, we see this from Joel himself. He says, to you, O Lord, I call. This is the first point for us. When this happens, when these tough times, when these, these, this absolute destruction happens, we say, to you, O Lord, I call. Not to these situations. To you, O Lord, I call. Joel himself cries out and appeals to God uh, to sh- as a show of what it looks like to call out during a time of destruction. As Christians, our prayer, like we said in our, in our opening prayer, prayer should be our first response, not a last resort. I'll say it again. Prayer should be our first response, not a last resort. We also see this fast. Um, we've talked about it here, we've, about fasting. There's, this is something that's talked a lot of the Bible. I think it's under-practiced. Uh, fasting, there's, there's huge benefits in fasting. Obviously, physical and all that, but mostly spiritual fasting. Uh, we saw it with the students, right? Uh, we prayed, we fasted. Uh, and God created revival. Not to say it was because of what we did, but there is power, and there's a reason that he calls us to fast. So maybe consider that as well. But this is all pointing to give all of your attention to God. Cry out to him. Fast. Give all of your attention to God. So again, this is in, this is in narrative form, so that we're going into chapter 2, and this is where we're going to kind of camp out uh, today. So that was a past day of the Lord. Now we come to a future day of the Lord that is coming. Starts off, says, blow a trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming, it is near. A day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Now it continues in verse 3, where again, this locust swarm has turned into an actual army. The land is like the Garden of Eden before them, but after them, a desolate wilderness, and nothing escapes them. 
Verse 9, they leap upon the city, they run upon the walls, they climb into the houses, and they enter through the windows like a thief. And then verse 11, we see that this is an army of the Lord. Again, the Lord sending this on his people in this poem. The Lord utters his voice before his army, for his camp is exceedingly great, and he who executes his word is powerful. And then for a third time, we see this locust horde described as the advance of troops, troops in the day of the Lord. Uh, it says, for the day of the Lord is great and very awesome. Some, some translations say very terrible. And it says, who can endure it? So hopefully we're getting this picture of, think of, of, of locusts, but now of army, of people coming into the city, coming into your house, coming and destroying all things. And it says, this day of the Lord is very great and very awesome. Who can endure it? And so I ask us today, can you endure it? What do you think? Can you endure this day of the Lord? I see some shaking of heads. The correct answer is no, you can't. Everything is destroyed, right? Everything is destroyed. Now, let me rephrase that. Maybe that's a little cheap shot. Can you, if you are in Christ? Yes. So you alone in your flesh can, will not, nothing escapes God's wrath in this day. But if you in Christ can, yes, you can. Let's read how in verse uh, 12. So, so we've seen so far this vision of God that's fighting against his own people. Does that make you uncomfortable? This, this thought of God fighting his own people? We don't, that's not the, the thing you see on a postcard or on a mug, right? Right? So it should make you feel uncomfortable because it's this vision of God fighting against his own people. But is he doing this destruction on, on purpose? Is he, or for what purpose is he doing this? That's, that's the question. And God's wrath, God's purpose in this uh, is not reckless. Some of you um, music types will get that, that reference. Uh, Robin, uh, it is not reckless. There is a purpose. So now we come to uh, this but God moment. Who here was here for the big butts sermon? Those of you who weren't, it's going to sound weird because we're talking about big butts in church. But we come to these points in scripture where we have, we have this but God. And this is one of those here. We have a, a but God. It doesn't specifically say that, but it says yet even now. So in the midst of all of this chaos and all of this darkness and all of this destruction, we have God saying, yet even now, declares the Lord. This is verse 12, if you're following along. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart. Say all your heart. With fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. And rend your hearts, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Yet even now, so God here showing his mercy, he says, return to me. So we have the how, how to return to me. If you caught it in the scripture, the, the how is with fasting, with weeping, with mourning, and he sends to rend your hearts, not your garments. Give him your heart, not just your words. Return to the Lord. But then almost more importantly, here's the why. This is a big takeaway, so pay attention to this today. Here's the why. Return to the Lord because he is gracious. Say gracious with me. 
Say merciful. Say slow to anger. Say abounding in steadfast love. This is who our God is. He is gracious, merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. So he tells us to return to him because of these things. Praise God that we get that. We get that in the scripture. He says to give him your heart, not your garments. That means, again, not an outward, uh, not just this, this words only. That means not just coming to church on Sunday. He says, give your heart to him. Give him all of your time, all of your treasure, all of your talents. Give it to him. And do not hear me as this is a, a try harder, do better, and God will bless you. This is surrender all. That's a key word in this. We've, we've talked about this a lot in students, that key word, all. He says, give him all of your heart. Rend him your heart, not your garments. Again, going back, it says, awake, lament, be ashamed and wail, declare a fast, cry to the Lord for mercy. That's the how. And then real practically, Refuge Church, turn from the sin today that you love, that sin that you feel guilty for, If you haven't heard it recently, take this as your chance to hear this loud and clear. Turn away from that sin that you feel feel guilty for and return to the Lord. He's asking us to return to himself. But why? Because he is gracious, merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Amen? I was talking with Heath, my brother Heath Harold, the other day, and he said something that comes from James that I just, I just love. Um, you know those days where there's just, and maybe that's this week for a lot of us, judging by the, the raise of hands, where just all those little things, but then big things, and it's just like all these little things happening in your life. Uh, and and uh, Heath reminded me, he said, his is count it all joy. It's a simple thing to say, but it comes from, it comes from James. Count it all joy. And the why behind that is because God is using all of these things for good. You've heard that before, but you need to hear that. I need to hear that. I come in here this week literally, not literally, uh, limping. Like just, It has been a rough, rough week, and it continues. It's really been a rough couple of weeks. And so when I go to this, I need to hear that, that he is using all of these things for your good and for his glory. But count it all joy, my brothers and sisters. This is not me, as I'm sure you uh, can't tell, but I always will not pass up a chance to show a picture of a guy with a great beard. Uh, This is Charles Spurgeon, and something that, uh, this is another way to put uh, what I just said, and I love, this is one of my favorite quotes uh, that he says, um, or said, is that I have learned to kiss the waves that throw me up against the rock of ages. I have learned to kiss the waves that throw me up against the rock of ages. All of these tough things, all of these hard hardships that you go through in your life, all the things that have happened this past week in the city of Memphis, in our own hearts, these fears, these things that God has allowed you to go into, um, kiss the wave. That means the wave that is pushing you up to the rocks, this rock of ages, he is throwing you back to himself. He will allow things to happen. Again, he has no part of evil itself, but he will allow things to happen so that you return to him. Kiss the waves that throw you against the rock of ages. So I want us to ask this question. I know I'm repeating this, but it's just so important. Again, I need to hear it. Maybe I'm just repeating it to myself. But when we go through these tough times, 
ask the question is, what is, where is God in this? And how is he trying? Is he trying to bring me back to himself? The answer is yes. He is trying to bring you back to himself. But then how? What do I need to believe about God in this moment? We continue on in uh, verse 18. Again, more of God's goodness. It starts off, if you're in the ESV, it starts off and says, The Lord had pity. Then the Lord became jealous for his land and had pity on his people. Here we see God's mercy. And then in verses 21 through 23, we get these, these commands of fear not, fear not, and be glad. Because the Lord has done great things. So God should have wiped out everybody and stayed there. He, he is righteous to wipe out all of us. He is righteous to strike us dead today because of our sin, but we have mercy. Amen? We have mercy from God. So we can, as Christians, if you are in Christ, if you are putting your trust in the finished work of Jesus, you can hear these commands and believe them and know them and, and act on them. The fear not, fear not, be glad because the Lord has done great things. Verses 25 through 27 says, here's more of God restoring the land and his people. It says, I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the hopper, the destroyer, the cutter, my great army, which I sent among you. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dwelt wondrously with you. And my people shall never again be put to shame. You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord your God and there is none else. And my people shall never again be put to shame. So again, get this picture in our minds of, of this terrible destruction that there seems to be no end. And then we have this yet, uh, but God, we have this uh, yet even now. Uh, yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart. And then here's what he does. He restores he restores all of the land. Everything that has been destroyed, he is building back up. That is happening today, and that is what will happen. Like we just prayed, the city of Memphis is not how it should be. This, this world is not how it should be, but it is also not, it will be perfected. Think of a perfected land. This is what he is doing, and we see this in this poem. But the key here is at the end of this, uh, and at the end of 27. You shall know that I am the midst of, in the midst of Israel and that I am, I am the Lord, excuse me, that I, the Lord, am your God and there is none else. Say none else. I am the Lord, am your God, and there is none else. The ultimate aim of all of this, and I know this is repeating, but it needs to be heard this morning. The ultimate aim of all of this is that God brings you back to himself and that there is no doubt that he is the Lord, your God. And he wants all of your attention. He wants all of your heart. And so I ask you this, Refuge Church, as I ask myself this, is have, has your heart wandered? Has your heart wandered at all from God this week, this month, this year, today? Has your heart wandered from him? We cannot be half-hearted Christians. This is a warning. This is a, like I said, I'm speaking to myself. We cannot be half-hearted Christians. And again, do not take this as a try harder, do better. It is just surrender all. Because the Bible talks very specifically about half-hearted Christians that he will be, that we will spit out. Surrender all of your heart. 
Have your affections gone after other things today? If they have, the Bible says, return to him. Return to him. Give him your hearts, not your words. Return to him today. Why? Because he is gracious and he is merciful. Most of the problems in our life are because God is not our all-consuming love. It's because we don't see, so we're not believing something about God himself. The problems in this city are because we do not see Jesus as king. We do not see him as sovereign over all. We do not see him as for us. We do not see him as for the city. So Christian, return to him today. I'm speaking this to myself too. In every situation, return to him And if you are outside of the household of faith, come to him because he is gracious, merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. See, Jesus has already paid it all. As as Paul was saying earlier, he's already, it's already done. It's already paid for. So return to him. We deserve this destruction, but we can take refuge. That's the name of our church, the refuge. I probably should have leaned into that a little bit more, but, uh, but there's a lot of this talking about us taking refuge in him, if we, if we hide in the finished work of Christ on the cross, we can believe these things and return to him, and he is merciful. So that's the first half of Joel. It goes a little bit quicker in the second part, uh, but in verse 28, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Brothers and sisters, what a day that will be. Amen? What a day that will be. And we see glimpses of this, that uh, all people who are in Christ will experience this pouring out of the Spirit. We see glimpses of this today. We see it in church history in the book of Acts. Uh, But there will be a day where we experience this forevermore. Think about that. The presence of God, this pouring out of the Spirit forevermore in eternity. That is what's coming. Again, this is referenced in Acts 2.16. You don't have to turn there. I'll, I'll read it for us. But Acts 2.16, but, uh, and this was, again, later in church history, if you're not familiar with Acts. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days, it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Say all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, that great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass, here it is, And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Read that again. This is something that we we like to nitpick over and and argue about sometimes, especially in the the Reformed world. And, you know, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Here it is in Scripture. So what is that? That is everyone. That is Jew. That is Gentile. Access to God is everyone. But it is those who call upon the name of the Lord. Only if you call upon the name of the Lord. But all 
who call upon his name shall be saved. We've said this again. We, we see it in Romans 10.9. Uh, this, was, this was the verse with students that we had this outpouring of the Spirit was with Romans 10.9. Another way to put it, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. We don't believe that there's a single pray, prayer that you can pray, but this is clear in Scripture today. If this is you and God is, you feel this, this pull from the Holy Spirit, and you're outside of the household of faith, but you hear these words, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. It says you shall be saved. And then in the end, it says all who call upon the name of the Lord, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's a great, great thing this morning. So again, we have the the day of the Lord. Remember that definition, but it's two things. A beautiful and great outpouring of the Holy Spirit amongst his people. One where we can take refuge in him during this time and we are safe in destruction. Or it will be this terrible time of divine judgment for all those who reject him and reject salvation. I know it's uncomfortable to have this fire and brimstone message, but this is just true to the text. This is, this is what will happen. We see, these, we see this is a poem, but we know this is what is coming. The judgment of the Lord is coming. So I'll ask you that and sit in that today. Are you giving all of your heart to God? And can you with confidence say today that on that day of the Lord, you will be safe, that you are taking your refuge in him? Chapter 3, we see further judgment and then restoration. It says, for, for behold, in those days and at that time, when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather all the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. That's just a fun name to say, Jehoshaphat. And I will enter into judgment with them. So now the word Jehoshaphat means uh, Jehovah judges. That's what Jehoshaphat means. So he will bring them into the valley of Jehoshaphat. Let the nations stir themselves up. And come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there I will sit and judge the surrounding nations. In 3.14 it continues. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. Now this is a time that's not for us to make the decision. This is a time of God making the decision. The time to make that decision is now. The time to respond to the Holy Spirit is now. This time of decision is when God makes that final decision. Not us in this, in this valley. He is judging the nations. Because on that time, every knee will bow. This came to me. It's pithy, but all will know, few will go. I Googled it. It hasn't been said before, I don't think. But it's true. All will know. Few will go. All will know. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord, but only those who are found in Jesus will be saved. So where are you today? Are you on the side of salvation and blessing, or are you on the side of judgment and destruction? Verses 16 through 21 continue. The Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice in Jerusalem. And the heavens and the earth quake, but the Lord is a refuge. Say refuge. Just making sure you're all awake. The Lord is a refuge to his people and a stronghold. Say stronghold. 
to the people of Israel. So at the end of the age, so we hear this, this roaring lion. This is, who, this is who God is coming down. The Lord roars from Zion, utters his voice from Jerusalem, and the heavens and the earthquake. There will be no mistaking on this day that Jesus is Lord. But for us who are in Christ, the Lord is a refuge to his people. Amen? He is a stronghold to the people of Israel. And in verse 17, we see this once again. This is, so you shall know that I am the Lord, your God. All of these things is God showing his power, showing his might, bringing you back to himself so that there is no doubt and there is no other name that he is the Lord, your God. So you shall know that I am the Lord, your God, who dwells in Zion, my holy mountain, and Jerusalem shall be holy, and strangers shall never again pass through it. I love that. And strangers shall never again pass through it. And in that day, the mountains shall drip sweet wine. Think of this. Picture this in your mind. And the, and the mountains shall drip sweet wine, and the hills shall flow with milk, and the stream beds of Judah shall flow with water, and the fountain shall come forth from the house of the Lord and water the valley of Shittim. There it is. This arid, Shittim is this dry, arid land that the, that the Lord is watering. Egypt shall become a desolation, and Edom a desolate, desolate wilderness for the violence done to the people of Judah, because they have shed innocent blood in their land. But, but Judah shall be inhabited forever, and Jerusalem to all generations. I will avenge their blood, blood I have not avenged, for the Lord dwells in Zion. That's where the book ends. So we see this restoration Think of chapter 1 with this desolation. The locusts have eaten everything. The dry land, there is no wine, there is no grain. And now he is restoring everything back because of his mercy. He could have just left them. He could have just left us there. But instead, the mountains shall drip with sweet wine. The hills shall flow with milk. Arid places are filled with water. People eat, people drink. He takes care of his people. It's a beautiful picture. So some final takeaways from this, from this text. I'm going to just repeat a few things because I think that I need to hear it. You need to hear it. God's purpose in this is to be seen as the one true God. And make no mistake, he will be seen as the one true God. Maybe for some of you, this book of Joel today is just bringing you back to himself. Take that as a sign because it is his word. We know it is true that maybe he wants you to come back to himself today. I'll ask you this, Refuge Church, specifically Christians, is glorifying God your sole purpose in life? And I'm not talking about perfectly doing this, but is glorifying God your sole purpose in life or is it something else? Let me ask it this way. Is his love for you all-consuming? Is it all... His, his crazy love for you, the love that does not make sense to us, is that love that all... Is it all-consuming? Is it... Are you reflecting that in your time, your treasure, and your talents because he loves you so much that you cannot do anything but respond? 
if not pray for these things. We want to pray for, you, for those things. That's a prayer, prayer that I ask every single day. God, help me to feel you. I read about it. I know it. God, help me to feel this. Anybody else with me on that? Ask him those things. Again, it says, give him your heart, not your garment. That means awake, as it says in five. Lament, as it says in eight. Be ashamed and wail, as it says in eleven. Declare a fast and cry to the Lord for mercy, as it says in one fourteen. If you have questions about fasting, I would love to talk to you about that. I would love to talk to you about, about the power of fasting and what, where it talks about in Scripture. Any of our pastors would. Just where to get started in that. Turn from the sin you love and return to the Lord. Why? I'm going to repeat it again. Because he's gracious. Say gracious with me. Say merciful. Say slow to anger. And abounding in steadfast love. Say abounding in steadfast love. If your heart becomes far from God, make no mistake, as a Christian, he will fight to bring it back. Maybe you're feeling that this morning, that you are far or that you're, you're, there's some part of your life that's bringing you farther from God, but he is going to bring you back. He may leave you in some darkness for, or seemingly leave you in some darkness for a while, but make no mistake, he is bringing you back to himself. So turn to him. Again, he is not doing this by evil, but he's allowing it to happen to re- so you can return to him. So give him your passions. Give him your heart because he's there. He always has been there and he will be there. Again, we end with this beautiful picture. Scripture promises at the end of Joel, as we just, just read, that Israel, Jerusalem, us will be converted, that no other name will be proclaimed. And that there are only, it says, no strangers. That means it will only be Christians there. Perfection because of Christ. Not because of the Christians who are there, but because of the Christ that we serve, that that we worship. But most of all, this dwelling place of God. So let's pray earnestly that God will pour out his spirit on Memphis. That he will pour out his spirit on us in the world. These are the things that we pray for because what is coming, my brothers and sisters, is everlasting joy. In him. Call upon the name of the Lord. That is another thing that we've seen over and over. Now this is an old text. We believe and we see in the Old Testament that everything points forward to Jesus, right? So where is Jesus in the midst of all of this? We know he is God. We know this is the same God that is, that is powerful, that is uh, over all of this. Uh, but another truth is that Jesus took this plague. All these things that we deserve, God took it for us. That plague, that locust swarm, the destruction, that's all judgment for our sin. But hear me clearly that Jesus has already taken this for you this morning. And he willingly took this. And we get all of his righteousness. Say that with me, all of his righteousness. We need to believe that. So Jesus is the how He is restoring, has restored some things, is restoring all things, all of his creation, all of his people back to himself. And one day we will be in eternity with him. Jesus is our refuge and he is how we can be saved during the day of the Lord.
all of this, so I shall be known, you shall know that I am the Lord, your God. So as we go into this time of communion, Christian, I want this to be a different, different time for you today. We, we've, we've talked about this every week. We do this every week at the refuge. But as we enter in this time, think of it as returning to the Lord. Where is something in your life? Where is somewhere? Maybe it is just everything right now. Take this as a time to return to the Lord. Rend your heart to him. We're going to get to do baptisms, praise God, for people who have given everything. They've, they've surrendered their heart to the Lord, and we're going to get to celebrate that today. And as we head into this time, I want us to, to confess sin, ask for forgiveness, and experience what we just talked about, his love, his mercy, his abounding and steadfast love. If you're not a Christian here this morning, uh, we don't ask that you take communion. We ask that you come uh, talk to us, come to the Lord. As we've seen and we read multiple times in Scripture, if you're not a Christian, obey this prompting to call upon the name of the Lord. There's assurances in calling upon the name of the Lord. You will not be put to shame. Maybe today he is calling you. Obey that command in the only name that can be saved or that can save.